The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, my name is Tim Borum. I'm a biotech columnist, and welcome to the Health Kit, a podcast series that aims to unlock the mysteries of the listed biotech and health sectors. And there's uh, quite a few stocks to choose from these days. We're fortunate to have with us today fund manager Matt McNamara as our first guest to give a professional investor's perspective on how to find value in the sector and where to find the traps. So welcome, Matt. Hi, Tim. How are you? Very well, very well. Matt is the Chief Investment Officer of Bioscience Managers, one of the few homegrown pure play fund managers to delve into the sector. In short, it finances ventures that enable innovative science and have the technology and the potential to transform healthcare. Part of the Philips Capital Group, Bioscience Managers was founded in 2003 by Jeremy Kerno Cook formerly the Biosciences Head at Rothschild Asset Management. Since then, Bioscience Managers has invested in over 170 companies globally, including 40 IPOs across North America, Europe and the Asia Pacific. Matt himself joined Bioscience Managers in 2008 and is responsible for deal flow management. So basically what he doesn't know about the sector isn't worth knowing about. So Matt, uh, just to start off... uh, Tell me a bit about yourself and how you got involved in the sector in the first place. Sure, Tim. Uh, yeah, uh, way back when, uh, university days, I was studying um, uh, studied to become a molecular biologist. And this that was back in the 80s. And uh, biotech was seen to be quite an exciting emerging field back then. So I thought this is, excites me. So I thought I'd try and make my career there. I did some research at the bench and I very quickly realised I didn't want to be wearing a white coat for the rest of my life. So I actually moved into uh, sales and and eventually marketing and management roles with Big Pharma, uh, Merck and Johnson & Johnson. And then I spent about 11 years between those two companies. Then I joined um, a startup, which was very, very different to Big Pharma, as you can imagine. And, and ultimately moved to corporate advisory work. And then finally, for the last almost 20 years, I've been doing venture capital investing in private and public uh, healthcare biotech companies. And as you mentioned, I'm currently the CIO of Bioscience Managers and, and form part of a team that chooses the investments, proactively manages the portfolio and uh, ultimately exits for the benefit of our investors. Mm, mm, sure, yeah. So you're very much interested in the commercial side, uh, despite your scientific background. So hopefully you benefit from the uh, best of both worlds. Uh, Matt, what uh, are the firm's key current investments at the moment? Uh, I notice uh, you've got 18 companies from the looks of it, and uh, six of them start with A. So are you trying to work your way through the alphabet? Uh, yeah, Tim, it's, there's certainly nothing to do with um, <laughs> alphabetical order or anything. And I'm happy to talk about some of our stronger uh, investments at the moment and that understanding full well in the, in the game of venture capital. Um, for every strong one, there's uh, at least uh, one weaker one and uh, they are 
they are uh, works in progress. But um, like at the moment, we have a, a, cup, a couple of companies that have been knocking knocking the ball out of the park. Um, one is Avita Medical, and uh, I'm not sure if uh, your audience would be aware of this, but uh, I think they will. When, when we talk about spray on skin, uh, Dr. Fiona Wood and the Bali bombings, uh, Fiona was working on this spray on skin idea back uh, before the Bali bombings. And then when those poor uh, patients were burnt badly, she took a lot in, uh, were flown into Perth. And uh, the, the simple concept, if I can try and explain it um, verbally, is rather than taking a full graft, um, you know, a full A4 sheet of skin from your thigh and placing it on the A4 size burn on your chest, uh, this technology is able to take basically a square centimetre from the donor site, being your thigh, and expand it out into a, a suspension, a fluid, um, a liquid form of your skin, and then spray it on, and it forms um, over time uh, a, a compatible uh, skin without creating another huge wound. So that's been, uh, we knew that technology was excellent, However, when we invested, we needed to change uh, the clinical approach and the people, which is a part of our investment style. So we installed a new uh, CEO, and that's a guy called Mike Perry, who was the head of uh, Novartis's um, uh, research uh, and development until recently. And he, he's worked in venture before and been CEO of smaller companies. And so we'd actually asked him to redesign the clinical trial when we first invested and made it a, a more compatible FDA approach to approval. And we have been successful in doing that. And we've uh, just at the turn of the year launched in the US and finally being uh, very much recognised for the, um, the technology that, that, it, you know, that we uh, invested in. It's taken a long time, but we're finally getting the results. Another one of the stars, which um, is a private company at this stage, and you know, I, I have no reading as to when it might become public, if, if it's to become public, but it's a company called uh, Saluda Medical. And Saluda Medical is uh, <clears throat> in the neurostimulation space, and it is designed to assist with spinal cord stimulation uh, and while current spinal cord stimulators provide a single pulse for your chronic intractable pain in your back, um, it's constant. And so you, whether you need it or not, it's constantly providing a pulse in your, in your, into your spinal cord. Whereas this um, Saluda medical device has been designed to have a closed uh, loop feedback mechanism so that it only stimulates the spine when uh, and if you need it. And the clinical data coming out off this um, is excellent. I'm just um, trying to think. We've, we've published the three-month data, which was superior to anything else. And uh, um, whilst it's confidential, it's not a public company, the one-year data is looking good, inverted commas. And so um, that is going to um, a journal um, as we speak. And as a result, we've had... Um, a couple of the large medical device companies that are in the neurostim space uh, come onto the register of the company, so they're keeping a very close eye on it. And, and our initial investment and subsequent investments 
um, have all been done, at, um, have all created up rounds. And so um, that looks like a, being a, a very large return for our, our funds slash investors. Okay. Okay. And the other one uh, you've got on your rotor is uh, Adherium, of course, which is respiratory devices, mainly asthma devices like uh, spaces. What, what, what appeals about that stock to you? Uh, Adherium is, um, the reason I didn't mention Adherium, because if you look at the stock performance, it's been very poor. So mm. if I go historically and say what appealed to us about Adherium uh, in the first place, um, it's, it's using digital, um, a, a digital device to improve the medication of patients in the asthma and COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease spaces. And these patients, as you might appreciate, you don't, you don't feel asthma or, um, every day. And so patients are very poor at, at dosing themselves and they need reminders. So compliance is a, a very important issue. So this device is designed to uh, remind the patient to take it as the doctor wishes, normally you know, twice a day, maybe three times a day, and also records uh, when you've taken it and which, which drugs you have taken. And so it helps the clinician when, you, when the patient visits the clinician and, um, and they can see that the patient might be poor at taking the medication on a weekend and so they need to understand why or, you know, um, that they're using more of their rescue medication. So as a result of this insight and, and information, when we've done clinical trials on people using these, um, what used to be called smart inhalers, now called Haley sensors, um, we showed a, a 60% improvement in adult compliance and a 160% improvement in children's compliance and a 60% reduction in um, hospitalizations associated with asthma and COPD. So for us, this was a no-brainer. Um, and it, we, we floated it on the ASX. Uh, it was very, very um, successful float, show a great deal of interest. But the market was expecting um, revenues quicker than um, we should have, uh, we should have uh, not, not flag. We should have flagged that it wasn't going to be as as quick as uh, the market was expecting in the partnerships. So the company has uh, struggled on the ASX and has gone from a fifty cent stock down to a two cent stock, which doesn't sound very good at all. But the core technology and the IP behind it and the and the principle behind the product is still uh, very much valid. We have a lot of corporate partnerships to assist in. Uh, developing the product. And uh, in actual fact, uh, there's been a previous transaction. ResMed acquired a, a, a similar technology called Propeller Health for, um, it was about 225 million US dollars. And uh, the Adherium product is doing something very similar, if not, if not better. And so we have reorganized the company, recommenced partnerships with strategics, uh, including Somatics, which is a data play, and we're very confident that we can uh, turn this one around as we, as we have other companies. Yeah, yeah, great. It's also a data play, isn't it, Matt? Uh, so It is uh, very much so, a data play. Gather, gather the data on the, on, on the usage patterns and you might make the devices smarter along the way. Yeah, and, and I've mentioned a company just then uh, called Somatics. It's a, it's a medical informatics company commercializing uh, an open and scalable medical data platform. 
that, um, that is designed to um, integrate connected implanted or external medical devices like the Adherium device. And then the resulting data is shared with patients, clinicians, payers, connected device uh, manufacturer clients, etc. So that's an important partnership that's been uh, together for about a year now. And we see um, anything uh, that involves data, it's a very easy thing for the inventors or the promoters to say, you know, and we're going to monetize the data. But I, I, I um, am almost certain no one has cracked the how to monetize the data yet. And so that's where somatics uh, comes into it. They're, they're not a drug, they're not a device, they're, not, they're, they're, they're a service that can help anyone, implanted or, or um, uh, uh, external uh, medical device that generates data to monetize that data. So that's, that's another um, up, upside for Adherium. Okay. Um, Matt, from the looks of it, uh, the fund uh, prefers uh, uh, device and diagnostic plays over uh, drug developers, I, I presume because of the uh, uh, lesser uh, time frame needed uh, for uh, commercialization and, and maybe better chances of success. Yeah, look, um, we, we will say that we will invest in um, drugs, devices, diagnostics and digital health, but you have hit on a, a key point um, and that being time. Um, so if I, if I answer this also by letting you know how bioscience managers like to invest. Um, our, our investment philosophy is to invest in global healthcare technology companies with clear technological and market advantages. And we like to take meaningful stakes and with board representation where we have an opportunity to influence the success of the company. And, uh, and then the key timeline is, you know, and expect a timely exit within five years. So the metrics we aim for are to achieve a three to four X or three to four times uh, return on our investment over a three to five year period um, for each investment. That's, you know, that's how we go into it. Clearly, we don't achieve that with every investment. And, but if we do achieve it in 30% of our portfolio companies, then we ultimately achieve our objective of a 20% IRR to our investors. So to break it down into those four areas, yes, drugs can be longer. Uh, and that's why we don't invest in preclinical, but we will invest in clinical stage uh, drugs. Devices, we, we can uh, invest preclinical, pre pre-feasibility. Um, diagnostics, sometimes it's hard to justify the investment economics to, to uh, uh, realise that three to four X return. And uh, digital health, well, what we're learning there is that um, it's the way of the future. Uh, virtually every device, even diagnostic, has um, a digital component. And so we are uh, partnering with experts um, in, in uh, the IT space uh, to make sure that we're uh, doing well with those investments. And Adherium is a, is a classic example of that. Matt, you uh, mentioned that you like to take a, a meaningful stake in companies. Uh, what, what's been your biggest uh, exposure to date? Our biggest exposure is around 10 to $12 million. Uh, that's been across a number of funds, uh, across two funds. Our biggest fund is a $100 million fund. It's the Biomedical Translation Fund that we won that licence from the federal government. It was a competitive process. It's a $100 million fund. So in reality, um, the most we would 
uh, allocate from that fund would be around 10 million. So where we have invested, um, you know, close to 10 from that fund, if it's if the company is also private, uh, we can also invest from our um, other funds that we have running out of VCLP and, and another Australian unit trust. Okay, okay. And, and what's, uh, what's been your biggest success to date as a, as, as a single investment? Um, I, I can't really quantify, um, you know, the biggest success, but across, across my time in venture, um, I've had several good successes. The, the first one with, with the pre-bioscience managers was a company called Viratag, but you would know it as Viralytics. Um, uh, so we actually uh, sold the the uh, the oncolytic virus technology to Viralytics. So we did well out of that uh, little transaction, and Viralytics then went on and did um, even better. And since then, in uh, bioscience managers, we've had um, a great deal of success for our investors in Acrux, um, Heartware, uh, the the uh, heart pump. And then um, two that I've already mentioned, Avita Medical and Saluda Medical. Yes, 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 great. And in terms of uh, exiting uh, p- positions, uh, what's your uh, rationale when you decide to do so? Um, I notice uh, I, I, over time you, you've exited quite a few of the uh, uh, the Aussie biotechs. You mentioned Acrux, uh, Alchemia, Arana, Bionomics, uh, Biota. So uh, how do you know when to hold them and when to fold them, so to speak? Yeah, so consistent with our philosophy, um, you know, we, we've got to remember that we're managing people's money. So when we tell our investors, and they're, they're typically superannuation funds or, in, you know, as in the government's case, and high net worth uh, family offices, uh, when we tell them what our investment philosophy is with, that I've just outlined, you know, aim to get a three to four X over a three to five year period, if that window opens up, it's it uh, behooves us to actually realize that investment um, and not be greedy and say well we might be you know, we might do better if we hold on because we're going to look pretty silly if we don't so when a, when a stock enters a uh, that window as I call it the three to four X in, in that three to five year period we then look at the two obvious uh, routes for exit and that is uh, a trade sale can we um, engineer a company to want to buy the, uh, our, our portfolio company. Clearly, that requires most of the investors to be uh, like-minded. Failing that, um, we, uh, if it's listed, then we, we will exit on, uh, on market through the stock market. Um, you, mentioned, uh, you mentioned Virolytics, uh, and that was, uh, that was a great success because I think it was uh, taken over by Merck at a 150% uh, premium. Uh, do you think there are uh, other virolytics uh, lurking in the sector in terms of uh, M&A activity? Well, I would have looked very smart if I had have said Opthia a month ago. Um, <laughs> but um, So you, you'll, you'll be aware of Opthia, um, their wet AMD, uh, macular degeneration. So, you know, it's it's had a, a, a lovely run of late. Um, you know, at the beginning of the year, Avita. Uh, medical had, had and a run that no one could envisage, but you know it's it's sort of you know it was it was obvious to us. You get FDA approval and you start selling, um, then then interest occurs. Um, and I've already mentioned Saluda Medical at the risk of um, 
um, talking our own book, uh, I believe, you know, when that is eventually sold out of our portfolio, either as a trade sale or if it does indeed go to the, onto uh, a Boers, um, that that will be, um, that will uh, <clears throat> really set the Australian market alight. In fact, the capital raise we just did, 75 million US dollars, was the largest capital raise for uh, an Australian healthcare company this year. Oh, okay, okay. That's uh, that, that 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 that's interesting. Uh, Seventy five million. It's uh, it's it's certainly a fair um, a fair work of money, isn't it? So, did you think public capital is uh, patient enough? Uh, yeah. Well, I think there's evidence to show that you know some retail investors don't have the the patience, and and I fully respect that because when the prospectus says, um, you know, we're going to cure cancer, they expect that to happen within a year or two, and when there's no news, they uh, can, and they see the share price dropping. It only takes a small number of investors to say too long and goodbye, and then it sets the downward trend. Where, as opposed to other retail investors who are more patient and and uh, can say, "Well, I understand this is a long term thing." So, it's very much got to do with um, the, what I call the foibles of being uh, uh, on the public markets and having to spend a lot of enti- a lot of time educating the uh, investors, particularly the retail ones who can move the market. So, you know, when when a company wants to go IPO, it sounds so sexy, uh, but they really should take advice on how much um, additional workload it, it imposes on the executive team and the board because there is, um, there is all that um, investor relations that needs to be done. And uh, if it's not done well, then the patient's the, sorry, the, the retail uh, investors will um, will abandon and move on to the next exciting uh, investment. Yes, yes. And, and and do you think some enterprises list too early in the piece? Absolutely, undoubtedly. And and um, I've seen it for uh, maybe twenty years now. And I empathise with those companies because they truly believe in their uh, their technologies, and that's important and that's good. Uh, however, if they can't get a VC or a, or a family office or some some private source of capital to to support the company, then it's almost by default they uh, go for the, the the public market, and and then they need to keep tapping it for you know several times over several years, and if they're not communicating well or not getting results that are exciting. Um, that's when they will find the, the problems of being a public company as opposed to a private company raising sufficient uh, initially, communicating with those handful of investors and, uh, and saying it, it, it may take a little longer, um, but not having the pressure of the public markets driving a price down. Yes, yes, indeed. And some Aussie bi- biotechs say they're undervalued relative to their overseas peers, uh, especially NASDAQ-listed uh, exemplars. Uh, do, do you think that's a, a fair complaint or or do companies need to do more to uh, cut the mustard, I guess, in in terms of, of uh, how they uh, communicate with investors and develop the science? Yeah, I, I think that we could be a lot more professional in this market. Um, so, yes, better investor relations and, and better communication with the shareholders and, and all the rest of it. Uh, remembering we are a small market and... Yes, in the main, companies are undervalued here, and we recognise that, but, but that's okay 
because um, a part of our strategy is often to migrate a company to um, a Boers like NASDAQ or the, or the US market, um, like Avita. Um, and once the US market saw the, uh, the FDA approval and the, and the launch, uh, I have no doubt that or we know that 50% of the, um, uh, the buying of Avita was coming from the um, OTCQX or NASDAQ listing. And so um, that's, that, that's very much driven it. And you need a large market like that to validate it to eventually um, ascribe through the market the value that you think it's worth. But I am always a great believer the market is the market. And so um, if you can't get your value here, then find a market that uh, will ascribe the value towards it. Yeah, 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 great. Okay. Um, and uh, just just finally, Matt, are you uh, a glass half full or glass half empty man in terms of uh, the prospects uh, for the uh, Australian biotech sector? We've seen great successes like Opthia, which you uh, mentioned earlier, but also, unfortunately, some setbacks, uh, some clinical setbacks uh, with uh, bionomics and factor therapeutics to uh, to name a couple but uh, is the uh, sector basically heading in the right direction uh, you ask a good question and I'm probably going to sit on the fence here but but I will answer your question in saying that <clears throat> more than 35 years ago when I decided to um, set my career in this sector I thought it was going to take off a lot quicker than it has so it's been uh, slower than I had hoped um, having said that, you know, for every success, there are a handful of failures, which is typical. So um, it, it, it makes it very difficult for investors. And that's why a portfolio, portfolio approach is critical. Um, so I am, I am optimistic about the sector in that there will be, there will be, as, as we've seen, you know, every year, there's one or two stars that, that, uh, that pop their heads up. There will be future stars. Um, the problem for retail investors or any investor really that hasn't got a portfolio approach is that um, unless you spread your uh, investments across a number of good prospects, uh, you may be caught up in the in the handful you know that, that fail every year. Yes, yes. As you say, the uh, the risks are great, but uh, the uh, rewards are also great. So hopefully, it won't be too long before we see the next uh, CSL or or cochlear. Uh, emerge. Matt, um, it's been a pleasure to talk. Thank you very much and good luck with your investing. Thank you very much, Tim. Great talking. Cheers.